Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Lavender Water Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Williams, and this is a production brought to you in part by the United State of the Art and Once New Clothing. Today, I have a very special guest. She is the funky chaplain. She is a brand owner. She is a musician. She is a production you, you know, like the the person that made the stages and the lights and all of that. She curates a really good time. Um, she she taught me how to how to make kombucha. Uh, she she has a lot of things in store for you. Give it up for Renita Walker. Hello, good day. Hello, good day. <laughs> Hello, good day. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I am a zombie. Yeah, I was trying to figure out when you sleep. <laughs> uh, there's a that's a that's a that's a loaded question. Uh, well, hopefully your lavender water is at least helping. Well, no, you're the you're the person that energizes. Never mind. <laughs> um, I I I tend to sleep like three or four hours during the week when I work. Um, and I just make it up on the weekend. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm a. I'm a. Let our listeners know that I am the type of person. I've been an old lady all my life. In high school, I would go to bed in the middle of the Sunday night movie, and my parents would be like, "You're not going to finish the movie? Absolutely not. It's past my bedtime tonight, evening. So I have gone to bed early all of my life. Not all of my adult life. All of my life. I was the person at the party on the corner of the couch, not I'm out. Get out of my seat. And if I walked in and if I walked into the party spot and somebody was in my seat, everybody was like, Hey, uh, yeah, you gotta get up. Cause they know I'm gonna be right there sleeping in a minute. <laughs> uh I I've been the pass out artist from time to time. Uh a pass usually... out artist. I love it. <laughs> Usually it's through eating too much chocolate at a Halloween party or you know drinking too much. Yeah, no, it doesn't take any of that for me. I'm just going to sleep. It's my favorite pastime. <laughs> eating and sleeping, like those are the two things that I really enjoy. I mean, and I like all the other things that I'm doing, you know, as far as building my brand. But to be honest with you, like if I can eat and sleep, life is going to be okay no matter what happens. For sure, for sure. And everybody always remember, rest is as important as work. You got to balance the two. When you see the Buddha meditating in the form of a statue, you don't see the movement. But understand that rest and movement are equally important. Truly, truly. Last week, um, you know, so... I don't know where this uh, our conversation is going necessarily, or if you. I think we did have a plan, so I'm gonna say this, and then I'm gonna let you like state our plan. But I, um, you know, we're in Mercury retrograde, and kind of my understanding of it is like it is kind of beckoning us to go with the flow, um, like listen to whatever the flow. Because my my go with the flow may be different than yours, but last week it was just like chill, rest don't do much of nothing. So I sat on my porch um, almost every day last week in the sun, and I just sat there for hours, and uh, 
it was life-giving. I did not know I needed that. And so now I'm like, okay, well, let's go back to the porch. And so I'm sitting out here so everyone will hear my the birds. Like, there's a lot of birds around my house, and you'll hear the birds and maybe a car or two and a woodpecker I hear trying to take a tree down. But, like, being outside is peaceful. For sure. Um, this episode was recorded in May. This is You're probably hearing this now in August. <laughs> we're time travelers. <laughs> um, so I understand that you are a brand owner, you're a musician. Uh let let the people in on renew redo renew. All right. So um redo and renew came about I was in between um training cycles as a chaplain. And mm-hmm. I was trying to figure out how I was going to make money. And real one quick, of real quick. my for those yes. for, to, tell people what a chaplain is for those who do not know. Okay, so let's start there. And I'm I'm gonna do it the way I do it on my Sunday morning sermons. In case you don't know who I am, my name is Renita Walker, also known as the Funky Chaplain. Indeed, the funkiest Indeed. chaplain you know. Don't look any further you won't find nobody funkier. A chaplain is a clinical spiritual care provider. So I work in hospitals, but chaplains can also work in uh, corrections. Um, There are also corporate chaplains, but what we do is care for the spiritual needs of the people that we encounter. So in the hospital, Grief is really big because everybody is grieving. If you get admitted to the hospital, you're grieving. You don't, you know, often you don't know what's going on with your body or you get a diagnosis that carries a certain amount of grief with it. Uh, Even if you've got a great family system, nobody can be at the hospital with you 24-7, so you are isolated. Um, And so a lot of what I do is um, what I call being a hopeful companion I walk alongside people wherever they are, but I bring a dose of love and hope with me to kind of help them hang on until the point where they can find uh, the hope that they have. Um, And it's a good time. I really enjoy being a chaplain. I I really do. So then all of the branding. So I am most probably well-known at this point, if you watch the Sunday sermons, as the funky chaplain, but I have kind of a, a... uh, tripartite brand. Redo and Renew is the fashion brand. The Funky Chaplain is the faith uh, brand. And Yaya, the intergalactic sojourner truth, is the music brand. And so my tagline is spreading love and hope through faith, fashion, and the funk. She's a hope dealer. I'm a hope dealer. So Redo and Renew again started when I was um, in between training as a chaplain. I was like, I got to make some money because not having money is not my jam. I have have some uh, trauma around um, money. And I'm married and my husband was taking care of things, but it's my trauma. And I was like, oh, no, honey, I cannot be without money. So I started sewing for other people and – the way that I started at the beginning, because my finances were low, I would take um, existing garments 
um, usually like leather pieces that I would find at the thrift store, mm-hmm. and I would turn them into bags. And yeah. it was so much fun. I had a great time. I had a great time. And there's still people out here with those first run bags. I, it was so much fun. Like one of the bags I carry all the time right now that people, if you find me, you'll see in pictures a lot is this green leather fringe bag. And it used to be a pair of pants. Mm. And it was, it's my favorite. It's my favorite. So those are kind of the three things that I'm using to build up my empire my empire nice. and I'm saying that hopefully and with intention you know what I'm saying oh I know hopefully you got to be certain you got to be sure well hope is not hope doesn't mean that it's doubt it's really just a disposition okay. you know it when I when I say being hopeful I mean certainly there's the um, the spiritual side of things. And I'm Christian, so there's, you know, a verse that always comes to mind, the Lord, I believe, to help my unbelief when the uh, soldier wanted Jesus to heal his daughter or whatever. But when I say hopeful, that train is really loud, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> We're outside, people. This is real life. When this I say hopeful, it, when I say hopeful, it's a disposition um, that hope is the opposite of despair. So despair means that I do not see any way that it can get better. Mm. Hope, on the other hand, is a certainty that it will get better. And so it is a disposition. With the definitions, okay. (laughs) Give me all the way right. (laughs) I mean, and that's how I describe it because – when I'm carrying when I'm carrying hope with me into a patient room, you know, there's sometimes, especially if you get um, end of life kind of diagnosis that you're terminal, um, you, the end of your life is coming soon. People tend to be in despair and be hopeless because they think death or a, or kind of death sentence has no hope or there can't be any hope. But there certainly can be. And one of the things I like to talk about with people is how do you want to die? What do you want your end of life to look like? Because there still is hope that you can live the life that you want to live and you can die the death that you want to die. And often people don't talk about it or look at those things. But, you know, it's good to think about that before you get sick, before you get in the hospital. What do I want? to happen with my death. I know after 12 years in the hospital, I don't want to die on machines. I don't want to die on a ventilator. I don't want to die plugged up to a whole bunch of machines. I don't want to die in a place where my family cannot be with me. Um, so I have hope for a peaceful death, a certainty that I've thought about it. I've planned for it. I have, you know, a durable power of attorney to do the things that I want done if I'm unable to speak for myself. But, you know, that there can be hope in all things, even death. Well, that's beautiful. Well, thank you. Because, yeah, it's it's like, you know, our relationship with death is so, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's really messed up in the Western Hemisphere. It's like, 
you know, it's, it's just associated with, you know, sadness. And, you know, it is sad when people pass, but it's like, at the same time, it's like we're being rocketed into a new life, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, yeah. if anything, we should be congratulating people when they pass on, you know? Yeah, um, I love, um, so I grew up in church. I'm a preacher's kid. I'm a preacher's grandkid. I'm a preacher's great-grandkid. So my dad's a preacher. My grandfather was a preacher. My great-grandfather was a preacher. And I love the tradition in black churches of a home-going celebration. Yeah. I love that. It's it's a very, it's very black. <laughs> and, <laughs> but I love it though, because it's, yes, we're sad because we're still stuck on this planet, but mm. we can celebrate that our loved one doesn't have to deal with this, you know, jacked up body anymore. It doesn't have to deal with whatever pain they may have been in. And if we are spiritual people and we have some spiritual beliefs about what happens after death, whatever those beliefs are, um, cause you know, as a chaplain, I care for everybody with all beliefs. So whatever your beliefs are about what happens after death, um, it can be a celebration for the person that's leaving. And yeah, it's, it's not sad for them. It's sad for us. Cause we stuck here. We still here dealing with right. the, the planet and the, and the, the systems and, and all of those things that, um, and our bodies, you know, that keep us in bondage in a way, but shoot, they good. <laughs> They're good. The sadness is for us. Right. So I know that I wanted to talk to you about values. And this is it, ladies and gentlemen, values part two. If you can remember <laughs> all the way back to the pilot episode with uh, my guest Jay, we talked about values. And when that episode went up, uh, Renita contacted me. She said, hey, I want to do part two. I'm like, hey, I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> so here's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. So here's what I was thinking. You all talked about things that people value, mm-hmm. like money, and what, how people would do things because they value money. And I think about values as like your core beliefs that guide your life. So for instance, I need money to live in this world, but that's not particularly a core value. Now abundance can be a core value, but the, but abundance is not just financial, right? Like it can be health. It can be, Spiritual health, I have, and I'm I'm coining this saying: spiritual health is health care too. So it could be physical health, it could be mental health, it could be spiritual health. But abundance is not just money. So if I only, you know, look at I have a value for money, some of the things that I might do, if I don't have a broad core value, I may do some things that are um, kind of unsavory to get the money if I don't know what my core values are. So one of my core values is uh, integrity. And integrity is living what I believe. So don't talk about it, be about it. You know what I'm saying? So if I say 
that, you know, I have a core value for uh, honesty, then I'm going to be honest. But I'm also going to expect the people around me to be honest. And even if I have an opportunity to lie and maybe nobody would know that I was lying, because I have a core value for honesty, I'm going to choose, for integrity, I'm going to choose honesty, even if no one's ever going to find out. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. uh, It's like uh, character is who you are when nobody's looking. That's it. That's it. And the core value there is integrity. I am the same person whether everybody's looking or nobody's looking. And so, like I said, when I think about values, I think about core beliefs because if you just are looking at, oh, I value these material things, but you're not looking at your core beliefs, you might find yourself in a situation to do some things, do something strange for a little piece of change because (laughs) you're not you know, connected with your core values. So I think um, one of the things we do um, in spiritual care, especially if I have a long-term group, we talk about core values. And I'm just going to list some so people can understand what I'm talking about. Abundance, acceptance, accomplishment, ooh, accountability. That's a big one. Um, Bravery. Uh, the episode right before you is about accountability and sacrifice. Is it? Yes. Uh, that combo was with my brother, Caden. Because accountability is important. If I want to be in relationship with you and you have boundaries, as everyone should, have some healthy boundaries, and mm-hmm. I cross your boundary, you got to say something. You got to be like, eh, you yeah, know, you know, I don't really like that. And if I want to be in a relationship with you, that's a place of accountability where I can go one of two ways. Oh, you know, I'm sorry that I, um, I did not know about that. And now that I know, thank you for letting me know. Or I, you know what my core values are. And you see me doing something strange and you like, Hey, uh, funky chocolate, what's really going on? You know, like, I'm just, is everything Okay. And I, you know, I can respond one of two ways to that, mind your business. Or, yeah, you know, I am going through something that got me off my, you know, off my square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Accountability, that actually is one of my core values. Like, if I'm being in a relationship with you, I need to be able to say, hey, I didn't like that. Or, hey, what are you doing? Let's see. Um, A couple more. Uh, Ooh, certainty as a core value. That would be that's a difficult core value because there's not very much in life that's certain. Um, commitment mm. as a core value. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. So I want to say about commitment. So I I kind of see how this is shaping up. I'm gonna name a core value and we're gonna have some polite conversation about it. I like it. Commitment. Mm. I I think commitment is a good core value, but also as the Bishop Kenneth Rogers sang to us, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, (laughs) know when to run. Oh, my God. The Bishop Kenneth Rogers, I mean, because he preached a sermon there. <laughs> you, you don't count. You don't count your money while you're sitting at the table. 
that means plenty of room for counting when the deal is done. That's a word. That's a word. That's a word. Yeah. So commitment is important, but you do got to know when to let go. Interesting. Interesting. All right. I'm going to give another one. You tell me what you think about this one. Communication. Communication is my thing. I am all about, I am big on communication. I hate being left in the dark. I hate when people Mm -hmm. swap plans without informing me while we're in the middle of the original plan. And then they're looking at me like, why are you still following the original plan? Because you never told me we switched. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a very, like, anyone that's ever done business with me, they know my communication. You know what I'm saying? I will hold you to what you say. Mhm. Yeah, I'm um I communication is one of my core values and I get stuck in certain places because I have training in effective communication. So, it can become an issue when I'm engaging with people who who don't have clear communication, but they don't know it's unclear. They think they're saying something and I think it's important to note that communication is a two-sided agreement, really. Like, I have to be saying a thing, but you also have to understand what I'm saying. Right. So one of the ways, I'm about to give away all the gems and goodies in this thing. One of the ways that um, as a chaplain, I make sure that I'm communicating clearly is one, I ask the person I'm talking to, what are you hearing? Because I've said a lot, but I don't know what you were hearing out of what I'm saying. What are you hearing? I ask that sometimes, like when I'm in a family meeting with a a patient and a doctor, and the doctor has said all these things, and the patient is looking kind of confused, so I'll say, well, what are you hearing? Because it doesn't matter if you think you're communicating clearly if the other person is not hearing it. So what are you hearing? The other thing is to say to the person that is communicating what you're hearing. Well, what I'm hearing is, and then that allows them to clarify, like, well, no, that's not what I meant. That's that's not what I meant to say. So I get in trouble sometimes when people say a thing and then later on they're like, I didn't say that. And I'm like, yeah, you did. I remember (laughs) the, the way that my memory is set up. I remember all the words that you said because communication is so important to me. Those are the words that you said. Well, that's not what I meant. Okay, well, here's a good time to tell me what you meant because right now I'm going on what you said. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I find myself in these situations too. Um, but you, you kind of realize that not everybody is grown enough to talk. Like, it just, it, mm. it's frustrating. <laughs> but, uh, you know, because as, as a child, they tell you, use your words, use your words. And, uh, you know, for the most part, talking is the the biggest form of communication that, you know, humans have between each other. So it's like, to me, speaking well and listening well have always been key because I thought that's how the world works. But it's like, you know, I'll get done saying something and then someone will ask me what I just said or you know, so, you know, or just go off of what they thought that I said or they made up in their mm-hmm. mind and now we're having a different conversation. Things like that. It's like, yeah, uh, 
if if I can't communicate well with someone, then we're not going to have a very long friendship. Not. We're not. For sure we're not. And so I'm telling you, those two tools, what are you hearing? Here's what I'm hearing will help clarify your communication with other people because a lot of times, like you said, people are going off whatever's in their brain that they think you said. And often we hear, you know, we hear, through not often, all the time, we hear through our filters. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I have trauma in my background. So there's a certain way that trauma filters things. And um, sometimes um, I feel persecuted when that's not what the person was communicating, but because I'm triggered in a way, I'm feeling something that's not there. And so that's why it really, really is important to clarify with someone, okay, so here's what I'm hearing. And they could be like, oh, no, that's not at all what I said. Or that's what I said, but that ain't what I meant. Okay, well, choose some different words because that's what I'm hearing. That's Mm, what I'm hearing. Yeah, communication is definitely important. But you're right, though. Like, you grew up in a use your words place, but a lot of people grew up in a be quiet. Kids should be seen, not heard. So if you were never taught how to communicate because they wanted you to hush, who's teaching you that as an adult? Right. Nobody. You're in a deficit now. You're in a deficit now. All right, let's see. Uh, no, oh, okay. This one is a critical core value for me empathy <laughs> that used to be one of my rap names really yeah I like when it. I was like 16 what made you choose it uh so it's like my name starts with an M you know so, so my first like rap name with an M was infamous it was M-P-H-A-M-O-U-S <laughs> And like every it. time that people would look at the name, they would never know how to say it. So I was just like, all right, I'm going to change it. Because <laughs> people were like, Morpheus? <laughs> Impahamus? So, I don't know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so it was like kind of going off of the M&M formula. His name is Marshall. Mm. And then the M&M thing. Gotcha. So it's like the E-M part. So it's like uh, empathy is just, I just wanted people to feel me as much as I feel the world around me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, man. Yeah, that's really where that was coming from. But then the streets were saying I was soft <laughs> with a name like Empathy, so then it ended up changing. Isn't that horrible, though, that empathy is seen as you being soft? <laughs> Everything that's is awful. seen as being soft in this world. <laughs> that's awful. And, you know, what's crazy about that is that softness is seen as some kind of deficit. Right. That's awful. One of the ways, um, one of the things that helps me do my job, and when I tell you that I pretty much, like, can walk into any room and build rapport with any person, male, female, non-binary, Christian, Muslim, atheist, Jewish, Buddhist, I can talk to anybody and build rapport because of my empathy. It it um it almost it almost radiates from me in a world where everybody is hard or trying to be. Yeah. People appreciate 
softness when they're in difficult times. Like they appreciate us. I, I call it being a soft place to land. Like everybody needs that soft place to land. Um, and for a lot of us, well, I don't know about a lot of us, a lot of my friends, but for me, for sure, my grandmother was a really soft place to land. Like I knew I miss her a lot. I knew that I could call her and get softness and she was going to be hopeful. Like, okay, yes, you can land here. You can lament. You can cry. You can talk about all these things and it's going to get better. So I, yeah, I hate that. I hate that empathy is seen or, or not that it's seen as being soft, but that softness is a problem. Ain't nothing wrong with softness. Ain't nothing wrong with being soft. In in a world where people are emotionally constipated, don't know how to express themselves, their emotions, their feelings, yeah. you know, uh, you, we tend to, like, vilify anything that we don't understand or can't do, so to speak, or feel we can't do. Yeah. So it's like when you see someone that doesn't feel the need to put on a tough guy, it's like, oh, he's walking through with flowers in his ear. Oh, he's lame. But it's like, you wish you could put the flowers behind You wish. You wish you had the courage. You wish you had the courage to be who you are. Yeah, um, I mean, let's let's ride that train, courage, as a a core value. You know, healing from some of the things that would cause us to think that empathy and softness are a deficit or are – undesirable traits takes courage, like healing from our traumas. And if you black and you grew up in this country, you got trauma. Mm -hmm. You've been traumatized. You have been traumatized. I talk about this all the time when I talk about trauma. Uh, I talked about it uh, in May on my Sunday sermon, um, that trauma damages the brain and there was a scientist that used to uh, come and teach us uh, from the Yerkes primate, Emory Yerkes primate lab. And he talked about how, when they show the primate images of trauma, their brains are damaged. So think about if you uh, just in the last couple years, seeing people literally be murdered on social media, yeah. Seeing them, you know what I mean? And so, like, all of the names, I can't even name all the names, but literally seeing them be murdered in real time, we're all traumatized. And if you're Black and you grew up uh, anywhere in this country, you got some trauma. You got some trauma. And so having the courage to face that trauma down so that you are not afraid of your softness, so that you're not afraid of empathy, so that you're not afraid to care about other people. It's like, it saddens me that, and I don't, I don't want to call, I don't want to call people cowards, but like, it's easy to stay the way that you are. Yes. But it takes courage to look at yourself and be like, you know what? I, I don't I don't want to buy into this toxic masculinity that is literally killing our black men every day. I don't want to mm-hmm. buy into that any longer. It's okay if I'm soft. It's okay if I care. It's okay if I have uh, um, 
hobbies that people don't like. And I like I love this black men frolicking on TikTok right now. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. I'm like, well, look at this. I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Courage and empathy. It, and it, maybe it takes courage to be empathetic. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, to actually, like, care about somebody else and, like, relate to them. Yeah, take a little hmm. action. Yeah, and sometimes it's hard to do when a person is so traumatized and stony, you know, um, yeah. and rigid. You know, it makes it makes it hard for people to to want to hug you when you got cactus spikes. Yeah, and listen, I certainly am not saying harm yourself to help someone else because that's just poor boundaries. Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> that's just poor boundaries. But I do think, you know, that I think about my work. Um, I work with veterans. And a lot of um, the population is black Vietnam era veterans. And they cry with me on a regular basis. And I just think about what other soft places to land do they have? Because when I tell you they cry all the time, all the time, all the time. And that's a, like, it's a stereotype that really was broken for me when I started working with older black men. And I was like, dang, they are weepy. I I, I did not expect that. <laughs> that, was just, that was shocking to me. But I think if you're a soft place to land and you demonstrate yourself to be so, people will um, put their spikes away. Yeah. And if they don't, you can keep it moving. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have to harm. Empathy doesn't mean that I'm without boundaries. I have boundaries. You know, if if I'm trying to care for someone and they clearly don't want me there, I just let them know, hey, if you need a chaplain, you let us know and we'll come see you. Because I don't want to force myself on someone because I don't think that's empathetic either. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right, let's see. Any more on courage and empathy? <laughs> hmm. Do you have a core value that you can identify? Maybe uh, identify some, but promptness. Okay. I'm so respect. About, uh, mainly in the sense of being timely, being reliable. Reliable. Um, okay. I like being, that. Uh, you know, because it's like, this is this is what I tell people that know me, is that my superpower is time. Like, it's, it's really uncanny how I travel through time while other people believe that time doesn't exist or time isn't real or the, the way that we perceive time, which I've been in certain psychedelic states where it's like, okay, I see how 60 seconds isn't exactly, you know, like this, this, it's, it could be an eternity, really, but it's, yeah. it's how you perceive it. And, um, you know, I'm just really big on people being in place where they're supposed to be at the right time, that there's no holes in the agenda, 
you know what I'm saying, the itinerary. And yeah. it's it's a smooth operation. That I'm just really big on that. Like any other human mistakes can be made, but it's like if everything is in time and on time, then it's just smooth anyway. Yeah, I see that as a matter of respect, too. Like you said, reliability and timeliness. I see it as a matter of respect, too, because if we've all agreed on a thing, then, you know, if something comes up, for sure, you know, let people know. And that's a respect thing, too, right? Communicating clearly about what's happening. But, like, yeah. if, you, if you agree on a thing, then respectfully do the thing. Yeah. Do Simple and plain. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. I feel that. And as a person who is chronically late, like I have to really be diligent on the things I need to do to set myself up to succeed in being on time. <laughs> like right. some people are just timely by nature. Like my husband is like that. If we say that we're walking out the door at five o'clock at four thirty, he's ready to go out the door. Nice. Now at four fifty five I am running around trying to be ready to be <laughs> And I think it's uh, I think I always like so as far as your the thing about time being a bit of a construct, I I miss read time all the time. I always think thirty minutes is longer than it really is and then when I'm in the middle of trying to do what I gotta do, I'm like, dang. Oh, I should have started two hours ago. 30 minutes was not enough. But I, so so I really, like, have to work. To me, it's, it's, like, it's the emotion in the time and then, like, what the activity is, what the activity is in that time. So, to me, mm-hmm. 30 minutes at work is, like, five years. But it's, like, <laughs> when I'm doing something that I enjoy <laughs> – 30 minutes is like five minutes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, um, I I had a, uh, a little, a little anecdote about this. Um, okay. So there was this time in 2019, me and my dad, uh, we're going to go see Dave Chappelle, uh, downtown Atlanta at the Tabernacle. And we, we lived in Peachtree city, which is like, about 40 minutes from downtown and then it's you mm-hmm. know it's like a Friday night or it's like a Friday or Saturday night uh going towards the city so you know Atlanta traffic pretty pretty congested mm-hmm. uh, people don't know how to drive but it was like uh he never really told me when he wanted to leave uh he was I think he was out like doing like Uber or Lyft or something and then he came back and he was like oh you ain't ready yet and he was like don't take me that long to get ready like I'm I'm ready right now. Like I'm, by the time you ready, I would have already been ready. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, we get ready. Uh, and it's like, he, like he's big on being on time, but he, he's like chaotic. Gotta be on time. I'm cool. Smooth. <laughs> like, Hey, just make sure you're on time. He's like, we gotta go. You, what you going to do? You, you know, kind of thing. So, uh, he's really panicking cause he's the one driving downtown. And there's, like, a point in time when we get closer to the city, we're in, like, one of the suburbs uh, going towards downtown, and there's, like, a detour going on because there's, like, uh, police activity in the street above or ahead. And uh, we end up, like, going into this neighborhood that everyone else tried to go into to turn around, 
but there is no way out except for the way that you come in. So mm. we're in heavy congestion inside of this little little subdivision or whatever. And it's like, man, we might be late for this show. So it's like by the time we get to downtown park, as soon as we get out of the car, the line starts forming around us walking, you know what I'm saying? Like we're basically there super on time, on board, like everything is rolling. It's like, yo, <laughs> that was pretty surreal. Like, you know, I'll 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 pay more mind to the, the fact that Atlanta is crazy traffic wise, but other than that, that was like still smooth. Like, man, yeah. to me, is just as long as you know what you're trying to do, is you know it's not going to harm anybody. You're going to sail through it. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I read something in a book that like, at, like we are the consciousness, and if you really think about it, the consciousness has never taken a step. It has never moved. You know what I'm saying? If anything. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the reality is forming around you. You're only perceiving it. You're not walking in it and navigating and interact, but it's passing around you. You're experiencing it kind of thing. So it's like, to me, that's kind of like how you follow in the flow if you really just relax and think of yourself as like, you know, like a rock floating down the stream or something, you know, instead of an ice climber going up a mountain. Yeah, so it's funny that you say that because I am a fan of synchronicity. Yes. Like, I just, if I look back over my conscious years, um, life has always happened the way that it needed to happen in the time that it needed to happen, and even... um, like I'm working on a um, Yaya project with a couple folks and it's just kind of like, okay, well, we'll go with the flow. We'll, let's, you know, work on a few more songs and see how that feels. Uh, like I just, you know, I'm not, I don't really like forcing things because I just think if I follow, if I'm, if I'm creating this reality, like you're saying that, and if, and if I follow kind of the creative urges within me, it, it it happens the way that it's supposed to happen. And I actually experience this all the time at the hospital when I'm at work. Um, mm. I usually have, I'm, I'm an undiagnosed, like, ADD type of um, personality. So if I don't do my work the same way every time, I forget things. And then I'm like running around like a chick. I'm like your I'm like your dad. I'm like a chaotic, uh, <laughs> chaotic preparation trying to like, oh God, I forgot to do this thing. So I I have a routine when I go to work and I do it the same every time. Well, fairly regularly now I can get pulled out of that routine by like just a um a feeling that I need to go some I need to go to a different place than I would normally go at that time. Um. Mm-hmm. And I can't really describe it as anything else other than this gut feeling that I need to go this way or go that way first or do it this way first. And I am Christian, so, you know, I would consider it, you know, I think Christians would call it the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, um, gut feeling, intuition, 
you know, the ancestors whispering at you, like whatever, however, you know, you understand it. But that feeling that like, I think I should go do this. And every time that happens, I walk onto a unit and one of the nurses is like, oh, good, they called you. And I'm like, nobody called me. She was like, oh, they didn't call you? I'm like, mm-hmm. they didn't call me. And so now one of the nurses that um, I work weekends, so I see her most weekends, and she'll be like, you are always where you're supposed to be at the right time. She was like, we don't even have to call you, and somehow you know to come. I'm like, yeah, I just, this synchronicity, I'm just following the the unction, the, the gut feeling, the intuition, like, I think I should go this way. And it, it never fails me. So, like, synchronicity is a huge thing for me that if I just relax, it doesn't mean I'm not doing any work, you know, to, to meet my goals or to, you know, to, to create this life that I want. But it is trusting that as I work, things will happen the way they need to for my, like, for my highest good. And it's fun, too. Yeah, it's fun, yeah. too, when it happens that way for me. I, I enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's always like, uh, you know, like when you like eat, eat like, I don't know, say like uh, uh, a thing of cookies and like two of them are like stuck together and it's like, dang, I just, I just scored. Like, yeah. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or you buy cookies out the vending machine and two fall out. Yeah. Synchronicity. That, that was meant for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. So I have I have one that I think um, from what I know about you in the time that we've known each other, I think you will rock with this one. Okay. Self-actualization as a core value. <laughs> uh, define, define self-actualization for me. So the way that I see self-actualization um is in terms of the healing journey that you go on to be the you that you're created to be. Like, and I think that um, growing up in and living in, you know, a capitalist system and you got, you know, toxic masculinity and misogynoir and all these things that kind of, um, and, you know, we've got our parents that were imperfect and had their own traumas that that kind of push you to be who you need to be to survive or who you need to be to live in this system. And sometimes that is not our true self. You know what I mean? Like, it's who I need to be. I need to hide. Like, like when we were talking about empathy, I need to hide that. I need to hide my softness. I need to, you know, because if I'm going to survive in some neighborhoods, I better not look soft. I better not look like I care too much. I better not, you know, look like I have all this empathy for everybody because people take advantage of that. And so sometimes we'll, I think, you know, and I've, I've done it, hide my true self, dim my light a little bit so that everybody doesn't see that, so it doesn't attract anything. And I think self-actualization is that process of coming, returning home, returning to who I am, who I was created to be. And, again, it don't mean I got no boundaries. I got boundaries. I'm not going to let you take advantage of my light just because you see it. But being comfortable in who I am and who I was created to be and how bright I'm supposed to shine. 
that's how I see self actualization. Yeah, I respect it. I, I, yeah, I, you. It, to, today's podcast is really uh, <laughs> is really giving me a good reading on myself. Um, I hope everyone is uh, feeling feeling the vibe. Um, for sure that I, I felt like I had to become so much in this world to be seen a certain way, to be accepted a certain way, and it didn't work. So now <laughs> a lot of my life right now is unlearning the things that I dedicated myself to learning that didn't serve me. So, like, mm. every every quality I felt I had to adopt to be a rap artist, right, is misogyny, yeah. uh, alcohol problems, uh, ad- addiction problems, uh, spending all the money, uh, <laughs> looking flashy, <laughs> uh, just, yeah. you know, thinking thinking that if I spent my money on expensive clothes, you know what I'm saying, that it would make people like me or attract more people to yeah. me. And it's like, yeah, no one cares that you spent all your money on clothes. <laughs> and now no one cares that you're hungry. <laughs> right. I mean, literally. Okay. Literally. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, so, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I'm curious about then, like, your, the music that I see from you now that is really like, you know, sex ed, uh, set to catchy beats is that yeah. is that tell me about it um so in the beginning it started out as a joke uh for in for anyone interested in the music uh the the artist's name is matt sexways m-a-t-t-e sexways and uh it started out as a joke because uh so like 2015 i came back from california uh, I had a friend, I was hanging out with him, and uh, we were watching YouTube, and we saw this video about this artist, Hobson, who's typically, like, a really super-duper lyrical rapper, but, like, this one song he had, uh, he was using autotune, and the point of the song was making fun of the state of rap that was going on where everyone was using autotune. You can't hear mm-hmm. what, understand what they're saying, but it's to a catchy beat, so they were the most popular songs. So he did one of these kind of songs, and it turned. It was ironically the best song he ever made. So uh, out of a joke, me and my friend, we made this song, and you really cannot understand what we're saying. We're purposely not saying anything. It's kind of mm-hmm. like you get like a vague couple syllables. There's like he's about to say a word, and it's like I don't know what he said. <laughs> so it's like three minutes of that. But it's like at the end of this song, I kind of like experiment with like my voice and the the octave and stuff, and uh, I liked what I heard at the end. So I was like, I think I could do a whole thing sounding like this part, though, you know, and I kept practicing mm-hmm. it. Uh, so, uh, so I, like, made the first song in 2016, and this is 22, so it was, like, you know, six years doing this. Uh, originally, like I said, it was supposed to be a joke. It was like, okay, because people knew me for the super lyrical punchline bars, whatever, but it's like, yo, He's uh he's doing something different and it's like a lot of people didn't know how to take it, which was understandable. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't sound like you and you're just doing a whole different thing. So uh the songs came about where it's like uh I, I had a crush on a woman and I made like 
five albums worth of songs basically about my feelings about this woman. But it's like, in a sense, uh, the more that I grew with it and seeing people's responses, I realized that, uh, one, <laughs> the majority of the people who listen to me are men. So, uh, really? this yeah, I start calling myself the uh, male Beyonce. Because, <laughs> 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 like, I felt like dudes liked what I was saying in these songs. Like, they was, oh, man, I said this to a girl, or I put your music on when the girl was over. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of weird. But it's like the more that it made its wave and impact, then I started understanding what was being done. Like, it, because initially it was the intention wasn't to educate people, but it's like the more that I kept making it, it was therapeutic for me. And mm-hmm. uh, I had a conversation with uh, my friend Jay off of the, the first episode of the podcast. Uh, it was like basically we were talking about like the idea of being misogynistic boys, and then we gotta shake it off as grown men. And mm-hmm. he asked me, how do I do it? And I'm like, it's, I think it's through the music. And then as a result, people, you know, work through it when they hear the music, you know, because a lot of my songs, so, mostly my songs are about the act of having sex, but it's like there are other songs where it's like, you know, the drama of a relationship, the frustration of a relationship, the at odds in a relationship, uh Sometimes it's like unrequited love songs. Sometimes it's, you know, I'm future and, you know, but it's like all <laughs> all parts of the spectrum, though. You know, like it's, 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 it's American, it's, it's African-American sexuality on pop beats, basically. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like, too, though, like, so, you know, you're like, you're talking about unlearning some of the things that you've learned a rapper or a black musician, a black male, uh, you know, musician is supposed to be in this world. And that when you started making this, that was kind of a joke. But now you like, I don't know, you gave guys an opportunity to engage something softer. Is definitely. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's definitely uh, that chance to be softer. It's definitely uh, that chance to experiment and play with the art. Because before, with the rapping, it was like... Because my thing, I was stuck on lyrical. Like, I'm I'm not like a... Go shorty, pop the bottle. I'm not that guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, you know, disassemble the, the mental mechanical, you know, I'm that guy. So it's like, hey, you, when you hey. <laughs> when you realize that people not really trying to hear that in the sense of they'll pay you to do it, you know what I'm saying? Then it's like, dang, I spent a lot of time trying to be the lyrical miracle. So yeah. uh, that was actually like a big thing, the difference between the lyrical rapping and the, the auto-tune crooning is that I can remember the auto-tune songs. I can perform the auto-tune songs. When I was lyrical, I get on the stage, I have to freestyle because I don't remember the verse. The verse was too, it was too lyrical for me. Too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I think uh, the transition from being this, you know, clouded, wannabe macho kid with the lyrics and then 
the transition to being a grown man and trying to understand myself, um, yeah. trying to make other people feel seen with the experience and the songs, uh, try to capture emotions with the music, the marriage of the lyrics and the melodies and the beats. Just because my whole thing with the sex wave was that I was trying to make real songs. Like I just felt like a lot of the tracks I was making as a rapper, it was like three verses, chorus, that's done. It's it. I was like, well, what was it about? I don't know. Right. But the music was good. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think until I started making sex wave did I make a good song. Like I, I don't think I've ever made a good song until like, I guess in the sense of like the the lyricism or whatever, but it's like as far as something that you would want to listen to again, I don't think I hit it until Sex Wave. But you know that's okay though. Like so, as we're talking about this, one of my core values is creativity, and sometimes I think um, artists can we can box ourselves into a particular thing. Um, yeah. instead of giving ourselves permission to explore creatively. And, yeah, maybe the song, maybe I'll never, you know, put the song out, or maybe I will, and maybe people will like it, or maybe they won't. But, you know, part of the difficulty of um, living in a capitalist society is is having to monetize and market things and 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 that sometimes and so that full circle here when when you were talking to Jay in that first episode about the things that people value if you value the money then you will do things perhaps creatively musically that you don't particularly like but you're trying to make this money but if the core value is creativity then I'm in this or the love of creativity. If nobody listens to my music, I'm proud of it. I like it. If it is my creative best in this particular season, and I, I and it's and, and it's in it's it's integrity to my own cre- creativity. You know what I mean? So so that's why that's why I thought talking about core values was so important because if I'm making music or I'm the funky chaplain or I'm making clothes and bags and jewelry for redo and renew, my core values have to guide how I do this thing or I'm going to be pulled any and everywhere because I don't know what my values are and I'm just going to chase the money here, there, everywhere, back and forth, all of that. But if I got some core values that are going to guide my life, then I know how I, I know how I'm going to move forward or, or why I'm going to move in a particular way, even if the avenue hasn't opened up just yet. You know what I mean? So, for instance, there's certain, for me musically, there's certain music that I'm not tempted to make. Like, um, and and I want to say off rip that I make these statements with without judgment to how other people's creativity comes out of them. Mm. But there's just there's just certain music I'm not making because it doesn't match my core values. So some of my core values, you know, empathy, um, respect. We talked about them, communication, um, education, self actualization, and so. 
it's you are you are not likely to see me on the top of a car with a blunt and a a, a, a bottle of anything shaking my tail in a video. That's just not my it, that doesn't match my core values. It really doesn't. And right. it's, if that's your jam, it's I don't have a problem with it. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's just not something I'm gonna do because it doesn't it doesn't match my core values. Um, and like, I'm going to educate whether I'm educating in music or the funky chaplain. And that doesn't, there's nothing educational about that for me. And so it's, it doesn't match. And so if someone comes along and offers me that, I, I'm not really tempted by it. Um, and especially, you know, like the whole conversation is coming together now, as I think about synchronicity, you know, mm-hmm. everything that comes my way is not for me. And so I can say no, as I honor um, my own integrity and the values I have, I can say no and walk with a hopeful disposition because I know the thing that is for me is coming my way if I just keep walking towards it. Yes, indeed. Um, There's a lot of power in being able to say no. Uh, And because we're hitting the hour mark, which, by the way, this is a record for the Lavender Water Podcast. We come close, (laughs) but we have crossed it, ladies and gentlemen. Um, (laughs) But uh, there it is. So this is something I learned on YouTube like ten years ago. Uh, There's this guy named uh, Jerry Levine Jr. And uh, <laughs> this was this was also going to be the first uh, non-explicit episode, so I think I'm gonna keep it that way. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna censor what he said. But um, he was basically like giving the game to the men, and he was like, "Fellas, you're not a real man until you can turn the coochie down." And it was like, you know, oh, like wow. like. A lot of dudes going to be like, man, what you talk about, man? That's coochie, man. I ain't turning that down, man. And it's like, yeah, when you get out here in the world and you really realize, like, it, it's it's not it's not what the TV is saying it is. It is very special. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't need to have it all the time. You don't have to have it with everybody. You know, yeah. some people don't take care of themselves, things nice. like that. But, you know, when you're young, you know, cash money records, what are they telling you? You know, oh, pop the bottle, yeah, that's the chick, yeah, you know, like things like that, you know. Everybody, you know, you you get flooded with it. And, you know, that's why it's so important to step into who you really are in this world instead of let it tell you who to be, what to think. Yeah, I think that's, I'm going to be honest with you, I think that's important for women, too, because, Listen, I'm a sex positive Christian. My um, sexual ethos is about consent. If you consent and they consent, hey, it ain't got nothing to do with me, handle your business. You love, they love, hey, how does that have anything to do with me? But I I will say that um, I I went through this period of celibacy before um, I met my husband, five years because before that, when I tell you that I was just having sex with anybody, and I was like, sis, get it together, like it, 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 it's, it's, and then not, it's not just the act of having sex with anybody, but the one dude was a stalker, 
The other dude was um, calling me from jail. The other dude, I was like, okay, whoo, you need to get it together, man, because your chooser is off, and you, you need to figure that out before you continue having sex with people. And sometimes um, the ability to evaluate, is this even a person I even want to give that kind of energy to, is super important. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are just trying to get your rocks off, it's a one-time situation, or you just need, because I had some, some buddy, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and, and when I was single, I did. I had some buddies. It was a cool situation. Uh, every One time I overplayed my position with the one buddy and showed up at his house unannounced and forgot, like, what it really was, and there was another chick over there, and I was like, my bad, son. I am so, so sorry. I did mm. not call. I did not call before I came, and that's my bad. Excuse me. It will never happen again. But, like, you got to, like, play your position, know your position. But, yeah, it's, it's, if you are an adult person who is having sex with every piece of genitalia that is thrown at you, evaluate your situation. Mm-hmm. Evaluate your situation because something is going on that you are not discerning who and where. And especially in this day and age and in Atlanta, in the Atlanta area, where the mm-hmm. HIV rate and the AIDS rate is crazy high, uh, yeah, you need to you better evaluate and protect yourselves, people. Protect yourselves. Protect yourselves. Get tested, man. Please wrap it up. Wasn't there like wrap a rap campaign up. about that a little while ago? But like, yeah, you, yeah. If you're an adult person and you really are trying to self-actualize and be the best person that you can be, you 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 can't just have sex with everybody because not only, like you said, are people not taking care of themselves physically, there are a lot of people who aren't taking care of themselves spiritually and emotionally either. And then you go have sex with them, and then you find out who they really are. Their people are unhinged out here right now. I've been hearing that word a lot this month. Because <laughs> it's, listen, the, and I'm going to put my chaplain hat back on for just a second here. We, the two years of the pandemic were absolutely traumatizing for a lot of people. And add that to whatever people already had going on mentally and spiritually. Add that to the economic system, how things have been so politicized, the hate that's been politicized. People are wilding out out here. They are unhinged. It's they are very unhinged. Listen, and so, yeah, you got to be careful with who you are sharing your energy with. Even if you ain't having sex with them, like knowing how to say no, knowing how to evaluate a relationship and be like, I say, this is not God's best for my life. Mm-mm, honey, this is dramatic. I'm cool. I'm out. <laughs> I guess maybe peace is one of my core values too, man. I don't want any drama. If you look dramatic, I'm going the other way. <laughs> I'm going the other way. Well, I can't. I, I can't. Well, then it's perfect that we met at this time of my life, then, like, <laughs> 10 years ago. Because, like, 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 every day, like, I was facilitating Facebook confrontations. Like, sometimes I was starting them. Oh, mm, like, mm, yeah, mm. It, was, it was it was big chaos. Rap life, rap life. 
Like, yeah, it was, mm. it was after every rapper in the city. It was, I'm better than you. It was, yeah, it was, it was a lot of that. Mm-mm. And as you can see, I don't, I don't argue on Facebook. You, you, every once in a while, I, I get ready to type a comment, and I'd be like, "Are you really about to argue with somebody on the internet?" And I'd be like, "Girl, you right, you right, sis, you right, you right about that." And I erase it and going about my business. I don't argue on Facebook, and when people come onto my page with foolishness, I delete and block. I don't, this is social media. This ain't even real life. Like, if I don't rock with you in real life, you can absolutely get blocked. And listen, I block people in real life, too. Yeah. I block people in real life. If you brought drama into my situation, if uh, I tried to communicate with you about something relational, especially because if you're going to have, if you're going to be in close relationship with people, your feelings are going to get hurt. People going to hurt your feelings, okay, because they're imperfect. You have a different, you, you know, you have a way of understanding relationship from your own home of origin. They have theirs. And to come together, you really have to have a lot of communication. So if, if um, and, and, um, and I'm not going to say unfortunately, because confrontation is a part of life. It's got a kind of a negative connotation, but it doesn't have to. If, if we're in relationship and your behavior is impacting me negatively, I'm going to say something. And if you're mature enough for us to have a conversation about boundaries and how to move forward, then we will move forward. If you're not, and you can't take responsibility for your pieces, then I'll block you and go on with the rest of my life. Listen. In a minute, okay? Find another one. I just, <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm not like, and and that's, I have to, um, I have to credit my husband with a lot of my growth in that area. Because when we first got married, I come from a family where we, my mom was a yeller. Yelling, mm. screaming, um, and fairly physically violent as well. And and you know, as I got older, I understood her trauma. Her father um, was physically violent in the home, you know. And so people, there was a lot of people. ain't it the truth? And so there was a lot of that. And so we got married, and um, you know, I've got other traumas as well. And we got married and my husband and I, our first big disagreement. And when I tell you I was getting ready to turn up, because ain't that how we saw things? Don't we turn up and fight? Like, that's how we got it done in our household. And my husband was like, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. I don't do that. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I don't that yelling, that screaming, that. He was like, I, I don't do that. If we can't have a conversation at um, a normal level, then we'll have to come back to it because I, I don't do that. And <laughs> I had the opportunity to, and this is how I think change happens in relationships. So I had an opportunity to remain in relationship with him and learn how to disagree respectfully, peacefully. And so now that is, a, it, it is, a part of my normal way of living. It was uncomfortable back then, but now it's just normal where, like, I'm not arguing with you. I'm not fighting with you. Uh, we can discuss our differences. And, I mean, other than that, and social media, you know, people, social media is weird. Like, I, I put a status up that you have a love-hate relationship with it. Like, I love seeing people's lives. I love seeing their milestones. I love seeing folks' kids, you know, graduate, go to prom, and all that stuff. But then, like, people get weird on social media and engage in ways that they would not engage with you if they was face-to-face. Mm. 
Right. It's strange. <laughs> I got a billion of those stories, but that's for another time. So I think I think this is where we should cap it off. Um, any any final words from the funky chaplain? Yes. People can look online. You can look for personal values or core values and really take some time to do what we call a values inventory. But look at all of the the words that you can find and really look at the values that are very important for you. Start with 20, go down to 15, 10, narrow them down and find out what values are core values for you so that you can use them to guide your life and guide your decisions and you can be in in integrity with your core beliefs. And it makes life uh, so much easier and much more peaceful to live when you are in touch with your core values and you can live according to them. Absolutely. It's all about standards and boundaries. And if you ain't got none, you a parallel. (laughs) <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, that was Renita Walker. I am your host, Matthew Williams. This was the Lavender Water Podcast. And you're welcome again anytime, Renita. Well, thank you. I'm happy to come back. All right. We'll see you again. And y'all have a good weekend out there. Peace.